0: Lord as we open up your word I pray God that we would have ears to hear God that we would have eyes to see and Lord we we pray God that you just guide us in the truth Lord help us to see things for as they really are Lord we thank you that it's only by your power that this can happen It's in Jesus name we pray Amen If you got your Bible this morning if you'd open up to Ephesians chapter 1 Ephesians chapter one. So often I find in my life, and I've found over the years that what I've learned at church, what I've learned in the Bible, I have a hard time at times connecting the dots to practical areas of my life. Can you relate with me in the real time? You know, in, in real living. I had something to remind me of that last night. I uh, was grateful that uh, Andrew and Sarah invited me and Ann to celebrate my birthday, so we went to dinner with them last night, and uh, we had a really good time, and uh, we were sitting there, and I began to get distracted, and I'm just telling on myself. I began to get distracted. There's three teams that I like in sports. I can't help it. I, I like the dogs. I like the Celtics and I like the Cowboys. And that's who I've liked since I've been seven years old. And the Celtics blew it last night, and I'll talk about that later. But uh, (laughs) but I was in the restaurant and and I wanted it hit me. I was like, what time's the tip off? And I was like, 7:30. It was about 7:55 at the time. And I was like, I gotta get a score, and I couldn't get a signal. And I kept hitting it. I kept hitting it, and I would look down and I would look at my phone. And and I would get a score, and I was like, we were down 21 points in the first quarter, and I couldn't understand what is going on. What are they doing? How do you get down 21 in an NBA game in the first quarter? And I was looking at it. Every about three or four minutes, I'd be talking. I'd look down, and I'd try to update it. I was so frustrated for like 30 minutes because I could not get updates, and there was no signal. Well, it, it hit me. There was this horrible feeling that came over me about 30 minutes later And I was like, wait a minute, there's something behind me. And I turned around, and there's a TV. (laughs) The Celtics in the heat were like 20 feet from me. And I sat there the whole 45 minutes trying to get updates that I couldn't get on my phone. I was completely disconnected from reality. And as I was thinking about what I was going to share this morning, it hit me. And I was thinking, you know, like what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks, we're going to go through a series called Gospel Implications. And the goal of the series is is living daily in the truth of the gospel. And the prayer is is this, is that, that we would be encouraged, that we would be trained to live seeking to look at our experience and bring it before the truths that the gospel gives us in Jesus Christ. I tell you, there's a big disconnect for a lot of people that profess the name of Christ. They, they come to church, and they hear the truths, and they say amen. They have a notebook full of notes. They read their Bible. But, but the prayer is, you know, in, our, in, in my Bible study group on Tuesdays, we started a little guide, and we're almost done with it. It's, it's called, and, and if you go to our church Facebook page, we're gonna be, I'm going to encourage you to read a little book. It's not going to take you long at all. And the little book is called um, A Gospel Primer. It's by Martin Vincent. If you go to our church Facebook page, it's on there already. There's a free PDF you could download of that little guide. You could buy it on Amazon if you wanted to hold something with a hardback, but you can get it for free. And that little bitty guide is one's one man's attempt to seek to apply what the truths of the gospel are to his day-to-day. And you'll find that this will be a companion. I'm gonna go about it a little different than he does. But the idea is that every one of us here today that's a believer in Christ are desperately in need of preaching the gospel to ourselves daily. And what that looks like is is that I'm going to have ways in which I look at myself incorrectly that the gospel has to shape. I'm going to have ways of looking at you incorrectly that I'm going to have to put up under in submission to what the truth of the word of God says. I'm going to have incorrect understandings of my circumstances that I'm going to be desperately needing to come up under the word of God to redefine how I look at my trials. I'm going to have... Problems at times not thinking correctly about the future that I'm gonna need to submit to the Word of God on. So, what we're gonna do is over these next several weeks, I'm not exactly sure all that we're gonna cover, but I've got this so far. We're gonna look at today how does the gospel change the way I view myself? Next week, how does the gospel change the way I view others? How does the gospel change the way I view my circumstances? How does the gospel change the way I view my future? How does it change the way I view my behavior? You get the idea. But the prayer is, is that we could live with a sense by the power of the Holy Spirit of not being disconnected from reality of what's truly there in the midst of our life, but that we would be growing in our ability by the power of the Holy Spirit to take the truths that we learn on theology, on all of these places, and then we could literally put them in the midst of how we live our lives. Today, Ephesians chapter one, how does the gospel affect the way I view myself? What I'm gonna do this morning is, it's a very simple outline. It's really not an outline. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna focus on three words, Three words that I feel like if we understand, we'll have an understanding of the meaning of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The three words are simple but very profound. We're going to look at these three words. The first word is grace. The second word that we are going to look at here is the word saints. The third word that we're going to focus on is the word blessing. Grace, saints, and blessing. And, I, and it's not that they're going to have differences in every single word that are not going to overlap. They're going to overlap because these words are so intricately related. But I think you'll understand a little bit more as we get going here. Let's read the text, verses 1, 1 through 3. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This morning, the first word we're going to really target is the word grace. If you went to just a lexicon, you would read something like this, uh, the absolutely free expression of the loving kindness of God to men, finding its only motive in the bounty and benevolence of the giver, unearned and unmerited favor. Grace. We look at a word like grace and we read Ephesians It's pivotal if we're going to correctly understand ourselves, if we're going to live out the gospel, live out the Christian life. It's the power of the Holy Spirit through the power of God's revelation to us in his word that opens our eyes to who we really are before God. You see, that's one of the big problems. We've been looking at, you know, Titus chapter 2. We looked at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and we talked about how how do you view yourself? Because when we look at the world and how the scripture defines those outside of Christ, they have a misunderstanding of God and a misunderstanding of who they really are. So a proper understanding of God will give us a proper understanding of ourselves. And the gospel teaches us that the only way we can relate to God The only way we can come unto God, the only way we can fellowship with God is through grace. When we look at this word grace, he speaks of it here in a introductory, welcoming grace and peace to you. He's speaking of it in that way that is so radical that the Christian now can live out of God's favor and can live out of God's power because they've experienced unmerited favor with him in Christ. So we have to see that because he he uses it in a way of day-to-day grace and peace that's available to the Christian. But I want us to look at this idea of grace. In chapter 2, if you got your Bible, go over to Ephesians chapter 2, and the first area underneath this first word, grace, is that grace is opposed to earning. Grace is opposed to earning. Look at verse 8 of chapter 2. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Grace cannot work alongside with earning. They're opposed to each other. There there was a famous, uh, when I grew up, I graduated from a high school in Chattanooga that was the best wrestling school at the time, possibly in the country. Macaulay had one of the best wrestling programs in America and had one of the best high school wrestlers anywhere in the country. And, and I remember hearing about schools that David Vance was looking at. He was the guy. And, and he was looking at all these schools. Well, one of the famous places to go would be the University of Iowa. Iowa was known as one of the greatest wrestling programs there is, and still to today. And, and the guy that that won the gold medal, the guy who's now their current coach, Tom Brands, an amazing wrestler. You know what he said? He said, the only thing you deserve is what you earn. The only thing you deserve is what you earn. Now we immediately, I hope, understand what he means. And this is a great quote and a great motivation in sports, isn't it? It's a great reminder of hard work, a great reminder of of going after it, a great reminder of you gotta put in the time, all that. But the problem is this, while we might understand what he means, the problem is many people look at the entirety of their life through the lens of what Tom Brand says, the only thing you deserve is what you earn. And they bring that into their spiritual life. It's much more common, I think, than we often realize They not only look at sports that way, they see their job that way. They see their marriage that way. They see their parenting philosophy that way. I do this, I can expect this. And at the end of the day, there's a sense of self-satisfaction and pride only hard work can bring you. But the danger is, you bring it into the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've just ripped the gospel of Jesus Christ apart and it no longer is good news. You see, when we read this, I was reminded of a a man that I regard as someone I like. And it's a sad story. Being here 15 years now, a lot of different people you come across. One gentleman was fighting whether or not to embrace Christianity or to embrace Mormonism. And I'll never forget, I was really excited. I felt like he was seeing the truth of the gospel. And one day we sat in a car out here in the parking lot and he looked at me and he says, I like the idea of grace, but he basically said, but I can't accept that we do not bring something to the table. The problem with that type of understanding of the gospel, it's a misunderstanding that grace is the opposite Of earning. When we come to the truth of Christianity, we are completely reminded over and over that we can't approach God on the basis of earning our way to God. If we feel like we can earn our way to God, I tell you, I think that what is true, a lot of the men that have encouraged and mentored me from a distance I've learned from, and many of those godly men have stated that in their ministries, the percentage of people that sat under their preaching who came to church on a regular basis, but in the backdrop of their mind and their mentality, they had a mentality that while they approved of Jesus's teaching, while they loved the word of God, their mentality was that they brought something to the puzzle that brought about their satisfaction before God. It's a misunderstanding of the truth. We get to the book of Ephesians, and we read immediately, Cully read earlier, you see these words about being chosen, about being predestined, and you begin to see that the truth of the gospel rests in this declaration by God that strips away anything that we might think we could bring. You remember the rich young ruler in the New Testament? He asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I think one of the sad realities of the rich young ruler is he was expecting an affirmative answer because I think he looked at his life as if he'd done enough. Jesus' answer completely turned things on its head in his life. You remember the Pharisee in the temple? As he looked at the man who was in need, he thought to himself, God, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. He looked at himself as good, but the gospel of grace comes against all pride and self-sufficiency. We live in a day where it's the way we live. I mean, it's sort of a social accepted norm if you're good at sports to flex on your opponent, to step over him to look at them like, look at me, sort of like, look at how we live, look at me, look at how I act, look at who I am, look at my talent, look at my ability. And friend, if we bring that into our understanding of Christianity, we have no gospel at all. None at all. The gospel comes against self-effort. The gospel comes against self meritorious effort that thinks that God would somehow approve me. But i tell you, one of the subtle things for even people that would discount a gospel of self works is that sometimes even in a Christian climate, we get a sense in our life of you know what, I'm a pretty good Christian. You ever fallen into that trap? I'm a pretty good Christian. I, I'm, I'm, you sort of get impressed with your own ministry, your own involvement your own devotional life, your own dedication, but what does the gospel do? The reflection on grace gives me perspective to understand who we really are, to understand our need. And the gospel grounds us because as we gaze into the wonder of Christ, it strips us of pride and it strips us of self-righteousness. I wanna encourage you, when you read the scripture, read it devotionally, read it worshipfully, and continue to ask yourself the question, what am I learning about God, but what am I learning about the reality of humanity? What am I learning about me? What am I learning about the nature of man apart from God? And what it does as we continue to grow in the truths of what God has done for us in Christ is it guards us against the fleshly temptation to boost ourselves up. I tell you, have you ever noticed, you know, I appreciate the birthday greetings. 49, wow. it hit me. 49. And and you know what? I'll tell you something. Maybe you've gone a little further than me in the Christian life, but I find my flesh is no better than the day it was the day I came to Jesus Christ by grace through faith alone. And if anything, my flesh has shown me it has not gotten any better. It has gotten worse. And I'm tempted in my fleshly disposition to rely on myself rely on what I can do, and what I am in desperate need daily is to be reminded through the word of God of who I am standing before a holy God. It's antithetical to works. In Romans, it says in chapter 11, verse 6, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So so grace is opposite to works, but grace (laughs) is leads me to humility. You see, the more I'm exposed to the grace of God, the more I grow in my understanding of what Jesus has done for me, it changes my understanding of myself at the core level, and the Holy Spirit is gradually making making me more and more humble. I tell you, it's interesting because the Holy Spirit is growing me to see who I really am. If it's of me, it leads to boasting. But if it's not of me, it produces within me not a proud disposition, but a needy one. Not a powerful disposition, but a humble one. Not a prideful disposition, but a broken one. Because I'm realizing who I really am. I tell you, we're going to be looking at how this relates to other people, but some of this stuff's going to overlap. I tell you, have you ever thought about how when you get goofy in the way that you think towards other people, and when I say goofy, I'm talking about fleshly and sinful, you've lost sight of who you are. You've lost sight of your own need of the gospel of grace. When you start to think that, you know what? You've got it going on pretty good. You you, you are a good, disciplined man who does things the right way. You're organized. You're disciplined in your quiet times. You do this. You do this. You do this. You've lost sight of the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what are you in desperate need of? What am I in desperate need of? Not just hearing sermons on an occasional basis, not just listening to Christian podcasts or my favorite preacher, but what am I desperately in need of? I'm desperately in need of evaluating my own heart through the light of the word of God as to what Jesus reveals to me. And i tell you what, the the only hope we have, you may be thinking, wow, how how do we do this? It's all of God's grace. It's all of his kindness. It's all of his mercy humility, understanding who I really am, humility that begins to grow me in gratitude as I continually reflect on what Jesus has done for me in the story of the gospel. And when he says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, it's reflecting on the reality that God's unmerited favor is the only way I could stand before him, The only way I could stand approved is through the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ to my account. The only way I could experience peace with God is that peace that flows out of the grace that Christ has brought me. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? He's not speaking about economic poverty. He's speaking about the location of our poverty being in our spirit. It's a disposition before God that recognizes how bankrupt we really are apart from his grace. And that disposition changes the way I live. It changes the way I look at others. It changes the way I look at my kids. It changes the way I act in marriage. It changes the way I deal with those people we might label as annoying, difficult people it softens me it gives me a different perspective but this grace is not only antithetical to works it's in the meritorious sense it's it's not only that which leads me to humility but this grace is the basis of how I live the christian life look what he does he says grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in christ with every spiritual blessing, we look at this in Ephesians, and and what we find is in in verse 1, I jumped over it, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are what? What's the next word? And are faithful in Christ Jesus. I love this because grace is that which enables faith and faithfulness. Thought about that? Here he's writing to the people who are faithful in Christ Jesus. And the interpretive question is, is he speaking about them as trusting and having faith? Or is he speaking about them as trustworthy and being faithful? But no matter which way you go with the interpretation here, it's grace that enables faith. It's grace that enables faithfulness. When we read Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and I read it for you earlier, we read that it wasn't by our works that even our faith is a gift of God, when you begin to see that even the faith that you believed with in Christ was not something you could come up with on your own, you were in need of God's grace to even believe, what does it do? Does it boost your sense of what you bring to the table in the Christian life? Or does it boost your sense of gratitude and rejoicing in who God is? It changes the way you look at it. You may be here today thinking, you know what? Well, I'm not as bad as this other person. You may be tempted when you look at the indiscretions in other people's lives to think, you know what? I've got it together. But the beauty of the gospel is when we reflect on it, it's not just faith it's a gift of God. Even faithfulness in the Christian life is what? It's an enablement by the grace of God. You see, when we look at this in the view of the Christian, not only am I enabled to believe, but enabled to be faithful, but I'm established in in peace, and I'm enabled to be peaceful. None of this is of me. So the first word we see is grace. The second word I want you to look at this morning is the word saints. When we think of the word saints, I want you to chew on this and think about what are the implications for me as an individual and how I live. Before we get into the word saints, I want you to think about this idea of grace, how it changes our perspective. It changes our disposition to people. It changes our attitude towards criticism. It changes our perspective of being self-assured to completely dependent. It changes me as a parent. It changes me as a husband. It changes me as a friend. If I think that I'm a pretty impressive fella. I'm not going to be real dependent upon God in the difficulties of marriage. If I'm pretty impressed with what I bring to the table, do you think it's going to affect the disposition I even hold to my teenagers? If I see myself in complete need of the grace of God, do you think it's going to affect the way they view a humble or a proud dad? I tell you, when you look at this, it's everything. Because so many times, the way we not only see ourselves, the way we carry ourselves is a call to run to the Word of God, to teach the gospel to ourselves and be reminded of who we are, to re- be reminded of the truths that hold us. We get into this word saints, and it's much more the same. We got to move along here. We could probably spend a lot more time in each one of these, but the first. The first thought about saints is is the misconception. How do we often think about sainthood? We often think about sainthood through the lens of the Roman Catholic Church. And I will tell you boldly, the Roman Catholic Church misses a lot of things, but misses this completely, like as much as any other idea. Because when you look at this term, the way the Roman Catholics view this is they believe that a saint is basically a person who has led a life of heroic virtue. Therefore, sainthood is not something that's declared to you while you're living. Sainthood is something conferred on you after you die. But there's a big difference when you look at the New Testament. It doesn't carry that kind of view at all. It speaks of those who are believers in Christ as saints. You remember when Paul was in prison in Philippi, and he writes, and he is up under the, the rule and the reign of Caesar because he's imprisoned. And then we see this remarkable transformation the gospel brings at the end of the letter. Fascinating. In chapter four of a Philippians, Paul says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus, every saint in Christ Jesus. And then he says, the brothers who are with me greet you. That's a fascinating phrase. And then he says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And that, if you're reading there curiously and interacting with the text, you're like, what are you talking about? How are there saints in Caesar's household sending their greetings? Because there's this miracle of the grace of God that had impacted the very people that Paul was imprisoned by. And now they've not just gone from enemies of the gospel and those that are servants of Rome, they're now saints in Jesus Christ. So we've got a misconception sometimes. But another reality of this about sainthood is we see this marvelous union. I was reading one commentary on this. And when we think of the word saint, it said it has its roots in the Old Testament, which speaks of God choosing a people from, from among the nations to be my kingdom of priest and my holy nation. So it's got this sense of being set apart, but then there's a, the roots of it are Old Testament, but positionally speaking, how are we a saint if we're people that struggle because we're not a saint because of what we do or a saint because of who we are now attached to in union with Jesus Christ. You see, the the miracle of this, the commentator says, positionally, we are holy because we are united with Christ. When a person believes in Jesus Christ, we learn in the scripture, the Holy Spirit baptizes them into the body of Christ. And what happens mysteriously, spiritually, we are in him and he is in us. We are in Jesus Christ. And while we may not be able to gather all that that means, the picture is because of our union with Jesus Christ, we are now referred to as a saint. We now are in Christ. When God the Father looks at us, he no longer sees our sinfulness. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ that covers us. We're saints. But you know what? There's a mystery in this. How does he refer to these people here in Ephesians? in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are where? In Ephesus. I love this. I love this because in, in the same commentary I was looking at, this is a really good point. Because you've got this mystery here that we are not only in Christ, but we are in Scottsboro. These Christians were not only in Christ, they were in Ephesus. And without an understanding of either of those, they don't live a proper life. If they only understood, who they were in Christ without recognizing God's call for them to practically live out the truth of the gospel, they wouldn't look at the fact that they're in Ephesus. But if they only look at the fact that they were in Ephesus, they would get so mesmerized by the culture and so mesmerized by everything around them, they would lose sight of the spiritual reality that they're located in Christ. But when we look at this, we see the beauty that we are saints in Jesus Christ. Remember Paul in Philippians 3, that our citizenship is in heaven And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are saints. When we we think about this, it reminds us, as we'll see in the next word, when we look at blessing, what does this word show me in my life practically? I may not feel forgiven today. I may feel real defeated because of the struggle I just went through this morning, or maybe you could say last night or yesterday afternoon. But the reality that governs my position is not in my works. It's in the work of Jesus Christ. How many of you have ever gotten sideways in your mind because you started to lose sight of who you were based off of a struggle, based off of something you were sinning in, based off of whatever, and you lost focus on what the gospel of Jesus Christ teaches you? The gospel teaches me that I'm saints, but it teaches me I'm not a saint because of what I bring to the table. I'm a saint because of the grace of Jesus Christ through his substitutionary work at the cross. It's only by belief in him that now I'm united with him, and it's not based on my work that I'm approved by God daily. I'm approved before a holy God based off of the perfect work and obedience of Jesus And when I get tempted to think that I have no place before him, what am I in desperate need of? To preach the gospel to myself and to be reminded that my standing is not in my ability. My standing is not in my obedience. My standing is in the perfect work of Jesus Christ on my behalf. If we lose sight of that, how are you going to live the Christian life? How are you going to live the Christian life if you lose sight of who you are by the grace of God? Obviously, through the power of the Holy Spirit, He brings us back to these truths. But I want to encourage you this morning. That's what grounds us. That's what grounds us. But thirdly, we see the word blessing. He uses this word blessing or blessed a lot, doesn't he? Look at verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. As we look at the word blessing, I want you to think here, the blessings here lead us to praise. Verse 3 through 14 is this unique combination of gratitude, thanksgiving, worship, and prayer. All kinds of things are happening here, and it goes into the end of the chapter. So you could really, some people have even speculated that the section begins in chapter 1, verse 3, and goes all the way to the end of chapter three. That, you could make an argument for that. Most likely, it's still in chapter one. But the point being, notice what these blessings are to do for me. These blessings that are spiritual primarily, all of these are spiritual, are to do what? They're to bring me to praise. And who are they to bring me to praise before? They're to bring me praise before the triune God. What we read in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 is what makes Christianity distinct amongst all other religions is our understanding of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we know from the Scripture, the Father planned it, the Son purchased our salvation, the Spirit preserves our salvation. You could say the Spirit applies our salvation, but what we see is the blessings that we have because of the gospel— are the blessings that, that bring worship in our life. I'll tell you, so many times in my life, I get focused on temporal things. I get frustrated, discouraged, confused, and anxious because I'm focused on the wrong things. Can you relate with me? But When I come back and I get under the word of God, What is it that brings about worship? And what is it that brings about praise? It's reflecting on what God has done for me in Jesus Christ. And Paul breaks out into praise here. So these blessings lead to praise. But I want you to see something else. These blessings, again, just like we saw with saints, these blessings flow out of being in Christ. We look at this uh, passage and we see this remarkable reality of how Paul continues to use the phrase in Christ, in him, with him. Look, look at the text in verse one, you see it. You see it faithful in Christ Jesus. How can we be faithful? Only if we experience the grace of God and we're in Christ. Can't be faithful apart from that. Look at verse three blessed us how? In Christ. Verse 4, chose us how? In Him. Look at verse 6, blessed us how? In the Beloved. Through whom do we have redemption? At the end of verse 6, in Him we have redemption. At the end of verse 9, He set forth what? Where? In Christ. At the middle of verse 10, to unite all things in Him. Verse 11, in Him we've obtained an inheritance. Verse 12, We are the first to hope in Christ. Verse 13, in him. You go on down to the middle of verse 13. The gospel of your salvation and believed in him over and over and over. You see this kind of language. And here's what's fascinating. If you took the epistles of Paul and you looked and searched for in Christ, in him, in the Lord. Guess how many times Paul uses those phrases? 216 times in his letters. You think that's significant? (laughs) Now, Now think with me. One scholar said it like this. He said, it's only when the Spirit joins us to Christ and we are engrafted into his body that we can participate not only in Christ's benefits, but in Christ himself. Listen to some of the ways this is used. We are found in Christ, preserved in Christ, saved in Christ, sanctified in Christ, walked in, we were to walk in Christ, labor in Christ, obey in Christ, die in Christ, live in Christ, conquer in Christ, just to name a few. The entire Christian life is built on the work of Jesus Christ for us. The blessings that we have, all the blessings, do you realize this morning, that if we went around the room and I said, give me a blessing of salvation, okay? Imagine that. And we had a big board up here and I started writing them down. Somebody says, we're forgiven. I wrote it down. Somebody says, we have an inheritance. I wrote it down. Uh, I could do this. It might be a little awkward, but we could do it, right? We We could name out a ton. Every one of the blessings that we have in salvation are because of what? We are in Christ. We are in him. Every spiritual blessing flows out of our life because of union with Jesus Christ. Now, keep going with this. It's it's these blessings now that are in Christ, but, but thirdly under this word, the blessings shape my true identity. The blessings shape my true identity maybe like what do you mean you see if we were to like list out some of these categories here we could put things like this i mean this would just be a generic i'm blessed with all spiritual blessings i'm chosen adopted i'm a child of god i'm favored by god i'm completely forgiven i'm included in god's plans i'm an heir of god i'm sealed with the holy spirit on and on and on and on those realities in verses 3 through 14 change the way i look because i'll tell you what in my life, I don't know about you, but you know where I'm tempted to find my identity? And what I do, and what I have, and who I'm with, what someone thinks, or what has happened to me. Anybody relate? How many of you lately are, I mean, I tell you, I'll give you an example, I mean, uh, maybe you're here today and you have everything paid off in your life, and you're tempted to find your identity in the reality that you're secure. But what does the gospel call you to do to realize how frail that is and to find your identity in Jesus Christ and the spiritual blessings that you have in him and the reality of who you are? But maybe you're here today, and it gets all over you that you know someone who's paid off their house at 54 years old. You know someone who can retire with benefits. You know someone that can do this and this and this and this. And what are you tempted to do? Find your identity and maybe what you feel like you do not have. What does the gospel do? And how does preaching the gospel become imperative in our life? We continuously take what we feel, we take what we think, we take the emotions of our life, we take our perspective, and we come before God's word, and we say, God, would you give me a perspective that the gospel centers me in? And you, what do you do? You begin to preach the gospel to yourself. All of a sudden, when somebody says something bad about you, you're tempted to fall apart. But then how do you find assurance and security? You remember who you are in Jesus. All of a sudden, something horrible has happened to you. You've gone through great loss. You've gone through great pain. You've gone through great suffering. It could be in many different categories, and you're tempted to let that reality shape everything about you. But what does God's word do? It brings you back to the truth of who you are and what you have in Jesus. And it gives you the grounds through which you can live, that you can walk, with God. This morning, I, I was reminded, and we're going to see this more and more. We can't cover it all in one sermon. Sometimes I'm guilty of trying to preach everything I know in the scripture in one time. I'm trying to learn. Pray for me. But I was thinking about something as I was leaving the house this morning. Ann has been gifted with a super sense of smell. That can be really bad for a guy. Um, I mean, she, she, it's one of her instinctive traits she has as a mom. And all you moms out there, you understand that. You just have that unique ability. But I remember now, I still go to Starbucks too much, but I don't normally go into Starbucks. But I used to study in one. In Albuquerque, and, and I've done it before a lot in Huntsville, if I, sometimes I just get in a zone now, I study more in my car, I look like a stalker. Have you ever seen my car sitting somewhere and I'm looking really strange? I'm probably studying, I don't know why. I just stay sometimes for hours in a car. And I, but I would come home and she'd be like, where have you been? And I'd be like, what? What'd I do? And she'd be like, you've been to Starbucks. And I'm like, how did you know that? I don't have a cup. You can't smell. I'm far enough away from you. You can't smell my breath. What do do you know? I I just, you smell like it. I had been in Starbucks so long that it literally got into the fabric of my clothes. Have you ever thought about that? Like there's certain restaurants that do that. You go to a restaurant and somebody like, "Uh, she she has that gift. But here's the uh, reality, y'all. Here's my prayer. I pray, not only in my life, I really believe that that being presented mature in Christ, the idea of growing in Christ, it is growing and seeing the centrality of the saving work of Jesus Christ and putting it in every area of my life. I was thinking about, about a teenager. If a teenager grew in understanding their identity was in Christ and not in popularity, if they grew to understand that they're secure in Christ, they don't have to be secure in the things of the world. Do you realize how it changes things? And it's not just for a teenager, but for an adult, for people in every phase of life. My prayer is that we're not a church that just preaches the Bible to learn more information, but that we get so enamored with the reality that Jesus Christ died for sinners. And through his sacrificial death, I am free and forgiven, and we're so enamored and changed by that that it has an effect on every outlet of our life. But what's going to happen is, as you go in those different outlets of your life, you're going to get sideways in your mind because Paul warns us. He says, don't be conformed to this world. But he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what that's going to take is a daily discipline of coming before God and preaching the gospel to ourselves as it relates to how we look at the world. Would you bow your head? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that your grace has brought us into this wonderful, marvelous union with Jesus. And not only has it brought freedom, but it's brought forgiveness. And Lord, no longer do we have to fear your judgment. We don't live in order to receive your favor. We live because of your favor. And I pray, Lord, that you would teach us, even as we go through this short series, Lord, and we look at different instrumental texts about your saving work, I pray, Lord, it would train us and encourage us to think biblically when it comes to the way we interact with the thoughts that come in our brains. I pray, Lord, that it would train us and encourage us the way we are friends to others in the body of Christ. Lord, we'd be a congregation of people that sought to lift Jesus up, but not just talk about Jesus on Sundays or on Wednesdays, but Lord, I pray that this would be the, the way in which we live, the way in which we parent, the way in which we go to school, the way in which we go to the office, the way in which we face the future, the way we face death, the way we look at our hopes. God, be with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you'd stand with me, In these last few moments, Charlie's going to be to my right in the hallway there.